you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. Listen to A Really Good Cry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tales from the Vault is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome to our latest episode of NFL Films Tales from the Vault. I'm your host, Hall of Fame journalist Andrea Kramer. It was 1984 when I started my career at NFL Films as a producer, and Steve Sable, the man who made NFL Films what it is, was my boss and mentor. Steve was not just a creative genius. He had a tremendous sense of curiosity, he was a brilliant conversationalist, and it all combined to make him an expert interviewer. This podcast showcases some of the greatest interviews that he ever did, none of which have ever been heard before in their entirety. The coolest part for me about the show is that it's like a time capsule, and I get to guide you back in time. Today, we head to the vault for Steve's interview from the year 2000 with the playmaker, Michael Irvin. Michael Irvin has been a staple on television for over 20 years, ever since he retired. Love him or hate him, there is no denying that if you look up the word loquacious, you will see Michael's picture. And then, of course, there are the clothes. I actually just did a show with Michael at this year's Super Bowl, and the first thing that somebody said to me was, what exactly is Michael Irvin wearing? But you know what? He's flash and dash, and he's that way the way he looks, and he's certainly that way the way he talks. And he will talk about pretty much anything. So this interview with Steve and Michael took place just eight months after Irvin retired from the NFL, and certainly no topic was off limits. Steve delved into all areas of his career, both on and off the field. You'll hear about how a conversation with John Madden led to an NFL rule change, but you'll also hear sincere contrition from Irvin about his 1996 arrest and subsequent trial, a trial that I actually covered for ESPN back then. And speaking of clothing, that's the trial when Michael Irvin walked into the courthouse in a full-length fur coat. Yep, that's an image I will never get out of my mind. But look, We begin with Steve and Michael talking football, particularly the NFC East. Remember back in the 90s, the NFC East was the division in football, kind of like what the AFC West is right now. In those days, a team from the East won five Super Bowls. They were truly dominant. And that's where we start with Michael and Steve. (laughs) 
Now, of all the teams that you played against, was there one team that you really hated? I mean, it was one real rivalry. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Huh? What, what are you trying to say? No, is there one team uh, that, that, out of all know, the teams I ever played? Yeah, is there one team? I, you that, know what? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think playing, when I play, I play in the NFC East. And I yeah. think playing in the East, I mean, really, and, 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 and even when the East was supposed to be down, the years that we won the Super Bowl, they said the East was down, the NFC East. I mean, it was any game you played in the East. I mean, you go back over all the years that we had great teams, we were in the Super Bowl. We never beat anybody in the East by more than three or five points. You know what I mean? Man, I'm like, we would go to, we playing in Philadelphia. I'm like, this Philadelphia stuff. Garbage. We go, we're gonna go down here and blow. We just blew San Francisco out, right? So I'm figuring we'll go blow, blow, blow Philadelphia out, and we go out there. We we got a 13 team. I'm like, man, what was that? You know, mm-hmm. what was that? It was always tough to win Philadelphia. It was always tough to win in uh in, in Washington because those in, in in New York. Those are mm-hmm. the games that we play every year, and it's like they build their teams around the Cowboys, and they always double. And I hate it. my stats were horrible. I hate playing in the East because, you yeah. know, they play you every week and they always they build your team around you, then they double cover you, and I'm coming out of there with five catches for 45 yards right. or six catches, and I'm mad the whole week, yeah. you know, can't wait to get to somebody. Now, so you mentioned stats, Michael. When you look back on your career, and it's a Hall of Fame career, what to you is your favorite stat, the one thing that, that you would want to Quite point? honestly, quite honestly, it's my, my Super Bowl ring, <laughs> if, yeah. if we can call it a stat. I Are you three. wearing I don't. I don't have one. I have one in the back room. But you're not uh, wearing your Super Bowl ring. No, because it, it, no, it won't go with the won't go with the outfit. Right. I you know, and and you know, my Super Bowl. I don't. People know I won three. I don't need to show it off like that. They know. You know what I mean? They know I play for Dallas. It's America's team. You know, it was Dallas. You know, we won. We won three. And you know, that's a great thing to be able to say I won three. And I now that I'm retired. I, I just, I really, the first time I really thought about winning, winning three Super Bowls. Man, that, that was a great accomplishment. So that's my greatest stat. When you think. Back of that first Super Bowl, can you think of what what you felt? I remember we talked to Troy about this once, and he said oh, he remembered. First he said one. he couldn't he couldn't catch his breath. I, man, I'm, te- I'm the first one was the one because I'm I'm Emin and I, we're walking out on the field, and it was it was Pasadena. We're walking out on the field, and I'm talking about and you haven't been Pasadena. The people are right down on you. I mean, fans, they must have, you know, the NFL made their money. They must have packed people in there. It was like sardines. It was, yeah. they were everywhere. And you, I remember us walking out, Emin and I, and that's the first time my knees ever buckled. I mean, all the years I played football, I never really got, my knees buckled. I remember, it, and, I mean, I walked out, I was like, whoa, I said, you felt that? Now, his must have buckled at the same time, too, because he looked at me like, yeah, you felt, I was like, I felt that. And I, and it took like, I don't took about the first quarter before I really just caught myself again. Like I felt like I had my legs. It was that was it was amazing. You know, we had that, that great shot of you in Super Slow. I'm sure you've seen it on ESPN hundreds of times. Your touchdown in that game. We have a great Super Slow shot of you catching the, the touchdown. Which You're one? In, which one? I mean, you know, I caught a couple. Yeah, I caught a couple in that game. I, I think I remember which one you told me. I think the one where I caught it and kind of dove across the yeah. ball. Oh man, that's that's when I finally got my knees back after that yeah. play. And it, it took a while. I mean, it was. I, I never and I never had that feeling again. And we played in two more Super Bowls after that, but it was never quite that feeling. I think it was just you know we were young and we. I don't think we were supposed to be there yet. Mm-hmm. And, and we popped up, man. It was. It was quite a feeling. It was something I never forget. We have a lot of shots of you and Emmett in the tunnel before the game starts, and you two are, are holding each other or you're hugging each other. That seemed yeah. like some sort of a, a pregame ritual. Yeah. You. <laughs> what, what was going on? What, what were you doing? Because we've got a lot of a lot of times like our cameramen would always see well, they'd be back. We'd always walk out together. Yeah, we were always you know Emmett and I are very close, and uh. 
we always put it on ourselves to win the games. It was always up to us. You know, Emmett, if, if, I, if I lined up out there and I saw those guys dropping off in the coverage, I said, Emmett, come on, you got to run the ball because I want to get my stats too. You know, if, if, they got, if they got too many guys covering them, you know, I got seven, eight guys um, up front. So Emmett's got to run the ball. He's running good. Then they'll bring that extra guy down and I can get my catches. So we, we kind of just kept it right. We would always tell each other that, you know, we, we did our – he was 22, I was 88. You know, we had these posters out, Double Trouble. I, mean, I don't know who's the double, who's the trouble there, but we did our little double trouble thing, and we always hugged each other and told each other it was up to us to win the game, up to us to make the plays. And we enjoyed that. We enjoyed the pressure, if you want to call it. We enjoyed, we enjoyed having the moments. I interviewed Walter Payton a couple, a couple years before he died, and he said to me that he had a personal slogan. He said that there was always this little voice inside him that said, you, you, can, you can do better, you can do better, you can do better. I've interviewed Jerry Rice, and he said he has a voice inside him saying, never give up, mm-hmm. never give up. Do you have some sort of a, Michael, a personal motto or a it slogan? Was, it, it was just that. It was always up to me. You know what I mean? When I stepped it on the field, it was up always to up to you. It's up to you. When you win the game, it's up to you. You got to make the play. It's up to you. Make the play to win the game. It's up to you. And it always rang. You win the game. You got to make the play. It's up to you. You got to make the play. You know, some people go out, and, and it's a team sport. And, it's, and, it's, and it sounds selfish when you say it. But I always I felt that. I always it was up to me to make the play. It's up to play. And I was fortunate enough to win championships, you know, in, in college and in the NFL, but I always had that thought, it's up to you. You gotta make the play. You gotta make the play to win the game. I was at a coaches competition committee meeting once and they were talking about oh. offensive pass interference. Yeah. <laughs> and they were talking about the Michael Irvin rule. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, that you I do. Explain that then. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I was I, I was with John Madden uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was telling him about it. You know how you come in those meetings before the game. You meet with the guys that's doing the All game. On television broadcasting. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm meeting with them before the game, and I figure, you know, okay, it's John. I'll help him out. I'll give him some insight to the things that I'm doing on the field. I'm starting to explain to him about how I get open. You know, Michael, you're not that fast. How do you get separation? Well, I'm saying I'm running some time, and I catch the guy. I feel him on me, so I may chuck him at the end of the— Yeah, I know the ball's coming. I'll chuck him right quick. Yeah. You know, and I'm just—just just between me and John, just between you and I. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Give you a couple things. You can say some things on TV. Don't run with it like he ran with it. I mean, he <laughs> ran with it. Like, Let me show you what Michael's doing out here. Yeah. <laughs> this is how he's getting so open. This is illegal. Yeah. And then the next year, they come out with these new rules, man, like you can't be doing the yeah. chucks. And I'm like, man, I— I tried to share some with him, but but that was part of the game. I, I like the physical part of the game. I like I I, I can never outrun anybody, so I wanted to keep you on my hip at the last minute to get that separation. So, so when you're going out in the pattern, you you don't care about the separation. You I don't even about, want it. I don't, you don't want, want separation. separation. I don't. Not, I don't want separation. I don't want it early. I want separation late, right before the ball gets. So right, the ball's coming, then you give the guy. Right, that, that's you know. it. It's kind of like. Uh, what do they think they call when those race cars following each other? I kind of chuck him drafting. Right. I kind of chuck him. He pushes me up and knocks himself back, and I'm right on the ball. That, that, it was, I thought it was always playing within the framework of the rules. But it's interesting that being a wide receiver, the word that's associated with you is warrior. And that's not real. When you think of a wide receiver, you think right. of a performer, an athlete, they don't an want artist. The contact. You know, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted the contact. At least I wanted everybody to think I wanted the contact. Yeah, it hurt me too. Those hits hurt me too. Like I would walk by a DB uh, before the game. You know, he's all psyched out, and I'm trying to psych him out. I really don't want him hitting me as hard as he's gonna hit me. But I walk by and say, you know, I'm willing to make a trade. He said, What you talking about, Michael? You ready to play today? You ready to play? I said, I'm ready. I'm willing to trade. So trade what? I said, I'm willing to trade that reception, baby, for your concussion. If you're gonna give me the concussion, I'll take it as long as I get the catch. So all right, all right, I'll see you, I'll see you. You know, and it just they thought they really, you know, they don't want to hear that you want to take a hit. Cause now you know, they're not knocking you off your game. And they really, I really didn't want the hit. I just wanted him to think that I that I was willing to make the trade. So this is what's really interesting about Irvin. 
He wasn't just trying to beat you physically on the field. He wanted to dominate his opponents mentally as well. He was always seemingly playing mind games, looking for that extra edge. He wasn't the first, nor will he be the last outspoken, larger-than-life personality, but he certainly perfected the genre, especially amongst wide receivers. When we come back, more of Irvin's cerebral side, and he also recalls a not-so-inspirational pregame speech from Tom Landry. You want to hear this? Stay tuned. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we push against typical societal norms. We embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful, providing a space for raw, unfiltered conversations that celebrate vulnerability and allow you to tune in, to share, connect, and find comfort together. Our tears come as a way to let us release what we can't hold anymore. I trust that no one's ever going to find out those deepest, darkest secrets. It's been a hard day. She walks out, and this is what she looks like. Oh my gosh, give her an Oscar. <laughs> Listen to A Really Good Cry with me, Radhi Devlukia, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. As you may have noticed throughout our series, Steve had this way of getting his subjects to open up. So you'd sit there and think, well, he doesn't need to push very hard with Michael Irvin. But you know what? Irvin could get philosophical about things for all his bravado and bluster, not to mention his penchant for courting controversy. Irvin is a bit of a thinker. In the upcoming segment, he gets introspective with Steve and digs into some of the low points of his career. Another word that I've heard you use a lot is loyalty. You talk about football is built on loyalty. The game is built on loyalty. What, what did you mean by that? Well, it, it, and that's why I talked to kids the other day, and I was telling them, you know, it's not up to you when you're on the football field. If, if you're in a boxing ring, man, I'm boxing somebody, if I want to quit like a lot of did the other day, if I want to quit whatever, it's up to me. You know what I mean? I'm out here by myself. But now if I'm on the football field and I want to quit, I, I, I got a responsibility to the other 10 guys that's playing right now on that field with me at that time in offense. And I got to be loyal to those guys. If I'm tired, if I'm tired, I got to I got to suck it up because I got I to gotta make a play for them. If it's, if it's me catching the ball after Troy throw it, uh, if it's me making the block with Emmett for him to run, yeah, I, I got to make sure I have that loyalty to them guys that every play I get them all I got, they deserve that. Mm-hmm. What is the greatest example of loyalty, Michael, that you can think that was shown toward you during your career, that, that, that someone that really, that there's an example of loyalty to hey, you? There's been many, <laughs> there's been millions of examples given, given to me from, from the Cowboy organization, from Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry's been there with me the whole way. Even when things haven't been so good, Jerry's always, you know, he's been right there. So, Michael, no matter what, I'm here with you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, for me, has been great. Um, they, I say often, uh, they, they, there's no place I'd rather have played football 
than, than in, in, in Dallas and, and, and for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and quite honestly, for Jerry Jones. And I don't know if people going to really take to that because yeah. there's not a whole lot of people that take this Jerry. But, but, but Jerry's been a great owner for me. When, when, when you played and, and you're – personality now to the public. I mean, you're not only a great player, but a very provocative, sometimes controversial personality. That's sometimes, most of the time controversial, but it's okay. What do you think, Michael, is the public's biggest misperception of you? Something that you've been reading about or seeing on television, that you hear know. it and you say, you know, that that's wrong. That's not the way I am. I, I don't know. I really don't. Because then I'm be honest with you, Steve. I, outside of watching your stuff, man, NFL, I don't watch much TV. I don't watch. I may watch a little Sports Center. Yeah. But much of it, I don't read. I don't read much of the paper. I. I but your stuff. That's all I do. <laughs> all, I love. All I do. I. I'm no joke. I, I get the little. You know, the classic channel that always show all your stuff, and that's all I watch. But you think of all that that, that in your career. That there's must have been times where you felt, you know, there was something said about you that just mm -hmm. it was an injustice. That isn't right. That this is not. I'm not this way. That that the the Michael Irvin, you know, the party guy, this guy, that guy. I mean, or or is that reputation? Is that the way you really are? And well, I'm not I, saying I, see, that that's this wrong. is exactly my point. See, I don't know what, what I don't know what is. I really don't know what's totally said. And I'm saying I'm, I'm out in left field on it. And I'm not 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 that it's a bad thing. It's just that, it, quite honestly, I, I try not to listen to what most people would say about me. Most people that have never have never met me anyway, you know what I'm saying? And, I, and, and it's, it's the way I got to be because I got to keep be able to keep my head up and keep going. Now, if I sit there and listen to too much of it, I would imagine it'll get me down. Then I'll be spending most of my time yeah. defending myself. Yeah. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. That's not true. So I've been trying to keep my head about it, quite honestly, and enjoy the things that I can enjoy. And, and, and quite, quite honestly, not paying attention to the things that I don't enjoy. If, you, if we go back and look at your career, and we went through all of our film library, and we could only pick one play that was going to be a resume well, of Michael Irvin. And this is the only thing that's going to be left of your career in hundreds of years from now. Someone wants place. to punch up, let's say, on the Internet, and hit Michael Irvin, and it's one play. And this would be the resume of what you stood for on a football field. <laughs> what, what would you want to say? That's a good play. question. Yeah. What one play would yeah. it be? What yeah. one play? I, I, would have to, I have to go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I would have to go back to the Super Bowl. And I remember it's the first touchdown. It was on a slant. And I don't know why, but a slant, I kind of like to think that, you know, a slant for a wide receiver is, is the play that most wide receivers don't want to run. It's the tough play. You know, I remember I had press car. I went inside. The guy caught the ball, went in the end zone. And for me, that was that's the one play that sticks out of my head more than anything because I remember at that time walking back after that play, walking back to the sideline thinking to myself, did I just score a touchdown in the Super Bowl? This is the Super Bowl. Do you know how many of them guys that I grew up with are watching this game right now? And you know how many of them guys? They probably lying to me. I know him. I, I raised him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it was the Super Bowl. It's the, it's the biggest It's the biggest stage ever. And I, I couldn't, that, that play stick out so much. I can't remember. I, I, I can never forget that play and, and just the whole surroundings of it. When, when you look back at your career, you have Emmett and Troy and yourself. And I think we looked in the, the record book, and I don't think there's ever been a combination running back, quarterback, receiver from the same team that yes. made the Pro Bowl as often as you guys did. There must be some sort of a, an, an interesting relationship. A great with friendship. It really how, how would you describe friendship. that? Oh, it, it's incredible. And, and you know, it, we, we talked about it we, when we just recently started talking about it, but it's something incredible because you don't often find that many guys on a team that get along so well. I mean, we never had problems with one another. I mean, we had a, a true mutual respect for one another and admiration for one another. I, I'm probably Troy's biggest fan. You know, not not just saying it because I want him to throw me the ball, even though I do want him to throw me all the balls. But I, I really am, and, and he's one of my greatest friends. I mean, if you ask me now, 
um, since I retired. That's the guy I talk to most on the team. It's Troy, you know, and, and, and we, we just had such, we, we have such a great relationship, such a great friendship, and I enjoy playing for him. I mean, it was, I, I was telling some, I was telling the team one day, I said, you know what, you, what it's like for a receiver, your job is not just to make a play, but to make sure you make the play for Troy. That, that's, that's your man. Troy's my right-hand man. My job was to make the play for him, and, and, and there's no and there's no doubt I would, I, man, I just enjoy playing with him. I enjoy playing with him. Just a quick pop in here to remind you that in those days, remember, These three were kind of like Madonna. Just one name is all you needed. So Michael, Troy, and Emmett, they coined the moniker the triplets. And really, they were the template for the wide receiver, quarterback, running back combination that all teams seem to want today on offense. But it's easy to forget that Irvin began his career before any of them were Cowboys. In fact, He was actually the last first-round pick made by the Cowboys of the previous regime, you know, the days of Tom Landry, Gil Brand, and Tech Schramm. In fact, Irvin's rookie year, he had Herschel Walker as his running back, Steve Pallor as his quarterback, and of course, Landry as his head coach. But the other thing that's interesting to me is that the coaches that you've played for. You played for Landry, right? Right. You played for one year for Landry. One year for Landry. Then you played with Jimmy, Jimmy and, then and then Barry. Barry. Now, I wanted to take each one of those coaches. And what even was, Chan. I mean, Chan. Chan. All right. Well, let's start with, with, with Coach Landry. What was the best and the worst things about playing for, for, for Coach Landry? Well, the best thing was that it, it was Coach Landry. And I was, I've been in all, just watching him. I was in all of Coach Landry, just looking at him. And I mean, this was the man I've been watching growing up. I mean, since, you know, growing up in Miami, because all you did, all, all you got was the Dolphins or either the Cowboys. Everybody got the Cowboys. Right. So, you know, I'm watching Coach Landry, and I watched him up and down the sideline, and I couldn't believe that I was playing for Coach Landry. Now, I, I remember that first year, we weren't that good. We were, you know what I mean? We weren't that good. I think we finished like 3-13. and 13. And the worst thing was probably, I was just so built up waiting on that first pregame speech. And I remember looking over and watching Ken Norton. And we, Ken Norton and I had just got drafted. And we were so built up waiting on that first pregame speech. And I think Coach Landry kind of knew we weren't that good of a football team. Because the whole pregame speech was like, Let's just go out here and try to keep this thing close, fellas. And I was like, wait a minute. This for, you Coach Landry. I've been waiting all my life to be in this locker room. What do you mean let's try to keep it close? Of course, we went out and got killed. You know what I'm saying? But that, that, that's pretty much all I remember about Coach well, Landry. Let me switch before we get to the other coaches. When you came in uh, to the NFL, Michael, was there ever any self-doubt did you ever get in a situation where you just said, geez, I don't know whether I can make it here? Or were you always really that confident in your ability that you were going to not only play, but, but well, excel? Well, I, 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 I was always confident in my ability that I was going to play. I and mean, I always thought, I, I always knew I would play in the league. Um, and those first few years, I was like, man, I don't know. You know, I kind of, I, I knew I was great. I knew I was going to be good enough to play. And I wanted to play at a great level, but I always worried after those first few years, we didn't do so well. I'm like, man, maybe this thing's a little tougher than I thought. You know, yeah. I need to go back to the drawing board mm-hmm. and, and all-season workouts and try to figure it out. Because, you know, I just felt like it, it, I always thought it was up to me to make the play. It was up to me. But now I was realizing, and I would sit on that bench and cry sometimes after we lose. And Nate knew would come by and pat me on the head told me, young rookie in this league, you can't win by yourself. We need help. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? So I was like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we do need some help out here. Well, now, looking back in your career, what? part of your career, and you might have answered this already, did you need to show the most perseverance, the, the time in your career than when you really had to dig down? Right. Let me tell you what broke me down. I, I had a knee operation in uh, 89. I think it was 89. It was my second year in the league. And I'm, I'm talking about it. From that, 
we we had we weren't winning in '88, in '89, first few games of the year where things weren't going good, and and it took me. And I'm going in this knee operation, it's ACL, and I'm figuring, you know, I, I work harder than everybody else. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. And I figure I'll go in here, bounce right back. I woke, I, I wake the next day, and I couldn't move my leg. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, how am I bounce right back if I can't get out here and run? You know, I couldn't no longer move my leg. And I mean, that that took something for me. It, it might have t- it took me two years to come back from that, just to get over, the, just 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 just, just the, the, the mental, just the depression, everything. It, it really hit me pretty hard. Um, Going through that knee surgery. Looking back on your talent as a as a as a wide receiver, what do you think, Michael, was your greatest asset? My my, my competitiveness, just being competitive. I, I enjoy competing. I, I figure, you, you, and competing. When you say competing, I mean it's it's the whole game. It's the psyche of the whole game. It's the physical part. I, I enjoyed the psyche. I enjoyed it all. I just wanted to compete. Uh, I never thought if I just lined up, I was going to outrun anybody. I never thought I was going, you know, stronger than anybody. But when I put it all together, you know, I I, I could make plays. And then that that was my thing. I, I walked in saying, I know I I about trained everybody. I ran hard. I ran longer. So I should be better. The law said I'm supposed to be better. If you outrun, if you work work hard, and everybody, you're supposed to be better. So I'm going in here, and I'm going to be the best. And that's just the kind of attitude I took. Mm-hmm. When. When you look back on your career now, what's is there one moment that you're least likely to forget? When you think of all the, well, how many years did have you did you play? I played twelve years. Twelve years. Twelve years. All those twelve years. Is there one moment that uh, that you think you're least likely to forget? And it might not have happened on the field. Maybe it was something in the you know in the in the locker room or in the tunnel before the game or after uh, the game. You know what? And I'm be honest with you. The, the moment is the moment I laid on, on the carpet in Philadelphia. It was the last play I played. I mean, that that that, that, that hit me when, when I'm thinking that this it's, you know, I, I remember laying on that carpet. And you got to understand and realize that for every player, I don't care whoever he says, every player going on that field, his biggest fear is to ever think, oh, okay, I can get paralyzed. And every play, you got to think about it every before you go on the field. You, I don't care who you are. I don't care how tough you are, how much you, bravado you're pushing on yourself. You're going you're gonna to think about one play could be any. It could be a play, and, and and just for a moment, I laid on that field. That one play was that play for me. I was like, whoa, you know, all these years of thinking about it, and I couldn't believe it was really there. That it was. That, and you couldn't was feel shot. anything when you. I were... couldn't feel anything. I, I lay on that car, and it was so amazing because you know, and back to me being, uh, I'm the tough guy. I took the hit, and it seemed like much of a hit. And I was like, oh, get up, you know, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, get up, baby. Yeah, yeah, everybody, get up. And then somebody said, move your legs. I said, I did. They said, no, move. I was like, whoa. Oh, wait a minute here. This is kind of, this, this was crucial. It was crucial. And I, I remember saying it then. Now, if you ever get up, and if you ever get up again, I don't know if you ever get back down here again. You know, like that. I think that was the moment. It was like, this is it. So that's when you decided, to, when did you decide to retire? Well, I, 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 I decided that moment. In my head, I was scared. I was, you know, I was scared and everything. But then, you know, of course, I go back and I look at the film like, oh, maybe that's not so bad. Now I want to play again. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to rationalize everything out. You know, I was still paralyzed 15, 20 minutes. But I'm saying, you can handle it. You can play again. And I, I was ready to play again. But then, you know, of course, my wife, she was like, no, I don't think you should. And and I, I don't, you know, for me personally, to be totally honest with you, I, I think I'll still be playing. But I don't, I don't know if I can put them through it watching me playing, wondering if the next play is the last hit. And I don't know if Troy go in a huddle and call a slant, and I'll get scared and run her out, just thinking like, no, nah, I'm not going back across that middle anymore. So I just figured for all intents and purposes, maybe it's, it's, it's the best way to walk away. Irvin was smart enough to know that you can't play the game scared, and so just like that, 
his career was over. But make no mistake, the circumstances in Philadelphia were ugly. And look, this pains me from a personal perspective since I am a Philadelphia native. We're not just talking about booing Santa Claus, which of course the Philadelphia fans did, but they actually cheered when they realized that Irvin was down and hurt and let out a roar that could only be categorized as derisive as he was carried off on a stretcher and wheeled to the waiting ambulance. It was Irvin's 750th and final catch in the NFL. So if you can picture it, he ran a slant. Aikman connected with him perfectly as they'd done like clockwork over the years, and two defensive backs converged. So neither hit looked especially egregious, but it was the way that Irvin's head was driven into the veteran stadium turf. It was at an angle that caused his neck to twist and resulted in swelling of his vertebrae. He lay there motionless for multiple minutes, ultimately sustaining a non-life-threatening cervical spinal cord injury. On July 11, 2000, Irvin announced his retirement. He was just 33 years old at the time, and he owned or was tied for 20 franchise-receiving records. When we come back, Irvin reflects more on his career, including what it was like to play for Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we push against typical societal norms. We embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful, providing a space for raw, unfiltered conversations that celebrate vulnerability and allow you to tune in, to share, connect, and find comfort together. Our tears come as a way to let us release what we can't hold anymore. I trust that no one's ever going to find out those deepest, darkest secrets. It's been a hard day. She walks out, and this is what she looks like. Oh my gosh, give her an Oscar. <laughs> Listen to A Really Good Cry with me, Radhi Devlukia, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. When Michael Irvin retired in 2000, he was the last player in the NFL to have actually played for Tom Landry. But the bulk of Irvin's career, he was playing for Jimmy Johnson his college coach from Miami, with whom he won a national title in 1987. And of course, he also played for Barry Switzer with the Cowboys. Now, if you listen to the Troy Aikman episode of this podcast earlier in the year, and feel free to go back and check it out if you haven't, you know that Troy never exactly embraced the loosey-goosey Switzer as a head coach. But Michael Irvin felt differently. Let's go back to the coaches, the best and the worst about uh, Jimmy. Oh man, let me. I can give you that probably in one in, in one whole story. And I, and I was we was talking about that earlier. I said Jimmy was Jimmy was a great coach, great coach, great 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 mind games. And then Jimmy would do things like I remember 
Jimmy before, you know, football and coaching, all it, it puts stress on the whole family because you t you're away a lot, your uh, you're timing, you spend a lot of time coaching, you spend a lot of time away from the family. So Jimmy before the season will call all the players together, bring your wives and all your girlfriends, or bring your wives and your girlfriends. <laughs> he would say, <laughs> that's what he would say. We're going to have a get-together, right? And we would all get together, and he'll sit there, and he'll take us some nice place, bring a nice spread out. We're all sitting and eating. And eat, having a nice time, having a nice meal. And then Jimmy get up on him, get up on the intercom and say, "Hey, we're family here. I just wanted everybody to get together. So now y'all can leave us alone. We can, we'll, we'll get back to being your husband and your boyfriends in about seven months. We got some football to play, you know. And next day we're off to camp, and you don't see your family for about seven months. So you know, Jimmy was he was smart with that. Yeah. Now what about the Barry? I love Barry. I love Barry. I felt sorry for Barry because I don't I don't know they did him treated him um, fairly in Dallas. You know, Barry won a Super Bowl. Right? They were hard on Barry, man. Barry, Barry was a player's coach. He, he was the ultimate player's coach, but I think people took advantage of him. What do you mean when you say, Michael, you say a guy's a player's coach? I mean, people say, well, it's because he, he didn't practice you hard. No, he no, 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 he, he practiced. Jay, Barry, Barry, when I say that, he, he, left, he left the coaching up to the assistants. Which is really the job of the assistants. The coaching, he, he's to oversee things. That's what head coaches do. He oversee. He had trust in his assistants and he had trust in his players. He said, listen, I'm gonna treat you like a man. Go be a man. The thing is, the problem is there's some players out there who he's being treated like a man and don't take it like a man. You know, he said, look, the guy's paying me $4 million a year. You don't have to tell me to work out. I'm gonna do my work out. If you're paying me that kind of money, I'm gonna go get my job done. You, you, you're paying guys that kind of money and you're treating them like a man. Look, I'm paying you for, for a good day's work. Go give me a good day's work. Some guys just wanna back up to that window. Tell me, well, I'm gonna get the paycheck. Let me sneak on back up to the window. That mean, they're taking advantage of it. It's not his fault. You know, it's like he said one time. I got to pay a guy three, four million dollars to play football. Then I got to pay another guy a million dollars to make him play. I mean, how much sense does that make? You know, he he was he was a great coach. He treated people like men. Um, and, and and the unfortunate thing was some people took advantage of it. Now you were a leader on that team. Were there ever any times that you had to pull someone aside, a player aside, a rookie or something, and just and, and say, look, you're not putting out. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. Is part you know because part of the, right. the success it, of the that right. was your, your everything. Role. Yeah, it was my role. And I, I didn't have any problem with it. And, and it goes back. I my thing is that not only was it time. Only, only way I could pull those guys aside in those fourth quarters or when I need those guys was I make sure I gave them my time in the offseason. And those offseason time came, those, those rookies, they have little events in their town uh, and, and their little cities, and I'll, I'll make sure I go to those events. You know, guys like me, they'll be afraid to come and say, Michael, can you come to my event? It's like a golf tournament or something? Anything. Golf tournament, you got a basketball tournament, a little basketball, charity basketball. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. I'm going to be there for you. You know what I'm saying? But the fourth quarter come, I'm going to look you right in the eye and say, hey, boy, look here. I got a family to feed. Let's make these plays out of it. You know what I'm saying? I was there for you. You know, it's, it's the moments. And that, that's when they'll go back. They'll remember those moments that I was there for them. Now, if I'm never there for them and I'm walking around that locker room and they're looking at me like, hey, that's Michael, you know. Hey, there's Troy. Hey, there's Emmett. And, and then that fourth quarter coming, that's the first time I go say something to them. Hey, boy, come on. What you doing? He going to say, hey, what are you messing with me for? You don't want to make it millions. You go win the game. You know, you never cared about me before. Don't come like you care about me now. So the important thing as a leader, I thought for me, was to make sure that I spent time with those guys and all offseason, the time with those guys after practice to make sure they know I care about them. So, you know, when, when the time came, I needed to get in their ear. I had every right to get in their ear. I had given them everything I got, now they had to give me everything they had. Say, let's say we had a bunch of your old teammates sitting over here in the corner, and you knew that they were talking about you. 
What would you hope that they would be saying? Man, I know what they'll be saying. They'll yeah. be saying some of everything right now. I'm looking over there like they're over there. And you got to imagine, I had quite I had quite a few characters now. I played with, you know, well, Emmett, Emmett Haley, uh, Nate Newton. Have you ever had Nate in here? Nate's no, I, I shot a couple of oh, years with him. Man, man, Nate a piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I played with him. I did a very memorable <laughs> interview with Nate. Boy, man, Nate, I'm telling you, yeah. you, you, very, you won't forget it. Nate's I, a piece no, of I, work. <laughs> you know, we couldn't like, use most of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't forget it right. See, Nate, yeah. and that's how Nate is. And I mean, and it's a blessing. I mean, we 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 play, and we won like that. That that helped us. I mean, you know, you couldn't go on that field and come back in that locker room. You'd be scared to come in the locker room if you didn't play right, because you know they Charles gonna tear and tell you. Charles Haley would tell man Charles. Oh, I was I could I can't even tell you can't use the stuff I you couldn't even use the stuff I could tell. I, I wish I could tell you some of this. Charles Haley was another character, man. But I I, I played with some man. I played with some great guys, man. Some great guys that enjoyed the game. I mean, enjoyed the game on the field, off the field. They enjoyed the game all together. What do you think, Michael, is the biggest problem that NFL players have today? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. And, and Steve, I say I don't know because I, I really, I, I refuse to let things become a problem a lot of times. I mean, my, my thing, my, my biggest problem really, my whole career was just having time for my family. And you, you're waste so much, and sometimes you, you do get, you, you get distracted. And I mean, you get distracted with things, women well, all right. and all that stuff. But, you get you know, distracted. in your career, Mike, there were times... That that you were in situations like right. that. Did did you off have, the field? Off the field. Right. Did, did you ever have a a, a little voice in, in like a little kind of saying, "Hey, you know, this, I, I don't know whether I should be with these people or in this all situation." All the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but now yeah, but, I, no, I right. should say all the time. It makes me feel like I was in the right. field. I but heard it once a few times. But let's say you were in a situation at a party and a, and or with the wrong kind of people. Mm-hmm. Did you know in that situation, hey, if, if somebody comes in here and they say, hey, this right, is Michael Irvin, right, right, right. my I'm ass is going to I'm be, in trouble. Yeah. I'm in trouble. You so, can stay right there. So stay how right come there. you didn't I get out of it? I don't know. Hey, listen, it's, if, you, if you thought you were going to get caught, you wouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah. No one ever think they're going to get caught. That's, yeah. the damn pro- that's the problem. Yeah. You're saying. you know what I mean? It's like I can have, I have a drink, get in my car. I'm like, I know I shouldn't be drinking a guy in this game. I'm driving this car, but I can make it home. Mm-hmm. I'll be okay. Yeah. And then when you get caught, you're like, why did I do that? That was stupid. I mean, I knew I was wrong. It was always after you get caught, you know, that was stupid. I shouldn't have been there. It was now everybody's gonna be saying this and everybody's gonna be doing this. Yeah, you, you kick yourself in the you kick yourself in the head 20 times. Mm-hmm. You kick yourself 20 times afterwards. But at the time, you know, you, you're in it. You're in it. You're in it. The fast world, everything, you're in it. And you just don't feel, you know, oh, I'll be okay. I won't get caught. What Irvin is referring to and what he's about to get into greater detail about is the 1996 arrest and trial for cocaine possession. He was arrested in a suburban Dallas motel room on March 4th of that year after a police raid turned up more than 10 grams of cocaine and a small quantity of marijuana. The night of his arrest, Irvin was celebrating his 30th birthday with a former teammate and two topless dancers. Irvin served no jail time after pleading no contest to second-degree felony cocaine possession in exchange for four years deferred probation, a $10,000 fine, and dismissal of misdemeanor marijuana possession charges. Look, it's an understatement to say that Irvin has had numerous brushes with the law. And he's been forthcoming about his foibles. In fact, he and I have discussed, quite frankly, over the years that he is cognizant that he played in an era 
where there were no camera phones, and he's very grateful for it. As he told me one time, if there was social media back when I played, I'd probably be dead or in jail. What's the hardest apology that you ever had to make in your life? You know what? When I, when I got in my situation in Dallas, um, quite honestly, I remember I apologized after, after I had my trial. And, and, and my the apology, I apologized to the people, but the whole while I was thinking about it was an apology to my father. You know, my father was, was, was my building block. My father was my world, and he had passed. And I had taken his name and taken it through something. You know, his name, Irvin, regardless to what the world thinks, he was a proud man. I looked at him as a proud man. I saw him that way, and he helped, he helped held Irvin. That name he upheld, he, he did a great job of holding, and he helped, held, held it well. And I, 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 I took that through something that he, that he didn't deserve. Um, with, with that trial in Dallas, and, and and for me that was tough. You know, I went to my wife to apologize after, and she, you know, the first thing she did, she made me feel horrible. I'm, I'm I'm coming to her. I'm ready to boo cry. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And she just looked at me and said, "I'm fine. You make your peace with God." I'm like, "Don't say that. Argue with me here. You know what I mean? Let's fight a little bit. Let's do something. You you make it hard when you just say you make your peace with God." I'm like, "Whoa, you know, I was wrong. You know, I'm really sorry, but." But, but but basically it, it was it was just you know what I mean really I sat there and I remember thinking that day, thinking about my father and my father he he, he was just such a great man you know my father was a roofer and a minister and he he deserved better than I gave him that day. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, did you ever have to apologize to your teammates though? I mean when when you were you know, some of those problems because I mean if I was your team I say God if Michael can't play this season or something like that because the troubles he into was there ever a situation? Well like that? you know what, not not really not to my teammates. Um, I apologized to him. I apologized. I remember when I spent it those first five games. I apologized to him for that. But, but never did I feel. You, they, they, never did they make me feel like that. You know, my teammates. Believe it or not, they were there a lot of times that I shouldn't have been the place. I shouldn't have been. They were there with me. I just was the one got caught. So they kind of almost understood. Yeah. To be totally honest with you, and 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 they were good. They were really good about it. And I guess they probably think that I took a, a good badging from the, from the public, and I didn't need any from them. Mm -hmm. When when we're sitting here talking about there, is there any topic that you that, that if we brought up that you say I don't want to talk about? Is there anything that, that we I don't want, mind talking yeah, about anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm just any, curious. About anything that has gone on in my life has went on in my life. I mean, what am I to say? I don't want to talk about it. I don't have a problem talking about anything. What would be if we we're going to say like your the if I was going to ask you what the biggest regret that you've got? We've talked about all the high points of your career. Oh. And I mean, what would be something that you'd say, geez, if I had it to do over again? You know what? I remember sitting on the sideline. Um, I think it's '96, and I was crying after a game. We got blown out by the Giants of Philadelphia last game of the season. And I remember thinking so bad that I really, because right after that Super Bowl 95, it's, it's when I had my problems, when I had my little situation in the hotel and everything. And I, I remember just thinking, God, I took something away from Dallas there. Because that thing overtook Dallas. The, the, the whole situation just overtook it. And it was right in the middle of a Super Bowl celebration. We never really had a chance to finished celebrating winning the Super Bowl. It happened in March. We just won the Super Bowl, I guess, in late January. It's like I never really had a chance to finish, finish, just enjoy celebrating the Super Bowl. And that, that took something away from me. That I regret. I regret going through I regret taking Dallas through it. I remember sitting on the sideline crying because we had a horrible season. And I just and I tried so hard and I couldn't, I want so bad just to give them another Super Bowl. Something to just, just something else to celebrate, something we can try to do it again. And I, anyway, I could never get it done. Was there ever a time in your life that you felt it was like you were totally out of control? I mean, there are times where, where everything was just happening so fast and this side and that, and you just, oh, oh man, this is, I just. I don't, I don't know that I was ever out of control. Totally, I felt that way totally out of control. You know, I always, I kept level ground. I'm blessed with a good wife. You know what I mean? I got a woman that's, that's been there, so, that, so that's good. But um, 
I don't feel like I've ever been totally, like, just lost. And like I said, I never really got caught up in a lot of the things, too. And I mean, there was times, I mean, I, I would imagine they was coming up with things. Boom, boom. And I mean, one after another coming on TV. And and, and, and I just, I just never, and I, like I said, I never watched it. Now, if I would have been glued in, tuned in to it all the time, I probably would have put a bullet in my brain, man. I don't know. From what I heard, they 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 ran it pretty good and ran me pretty rampant with it. So but there was I, one I, thing I know we heard up here that you were I forget what it was, but but then it was totally wrong and you had a lawsuit against the, the station. Right. Exactly. That's why that's why that's exactly my point. That's what I'm saying. I, I mean, no, wait a minute now, not just that and then there's there was a rape thing that I was supposed to have a rape the girl, I had a gun to her head with a camera. I'm like, where's this coming from? And I was, you know, it, it was <clears throat> Excuse me. It was so many things coming out so fast. That's exactly what I, I didn't want to pay attention to it because I knew I, I knew the one thing happened. I was in that hotel. Everything else after that was uh, it was just a bunch of it just and it just hit. Oh, Michael. Did Everything this, after Michael that did was that. wasn't true. I don't remember anything that was true after that. I mean, it was Michael did this. I spoke to doing my trial. Took some witness. I mean, they had me out to like Gotti. You know what I'm saying? But what about what's the worst emotional pain that you ever suffered? playing football. I mean, we talked about the physical. You know what used to hurt me? I, I mean, hurt me to, to, I don't know why. I, I could, when I was playing with Jimmy, even in college, in Miami or in, in, in Dallas, and I think about this today sometimes, I used to watch, and we, we're losing a game, and I would watch Jimmy, I would stand behind him. And you probably got some old films, you see me just behind Jimmy Lee Kennedy, and we're losing. And I would watch Jimmy, and it would hurt me because it looked like it was killing him. I, I mean, it was like it was like Jimmy was like, I'm going home tonight and kill myself. I was like, man, I, I, feel, so, I felt so bad for Jimmy. You know, I, I hated losing. But I, I, I feel like I met somebody, and I know he hated losing worse than I did, and he wasn't even on the field. And I was like, man, he is just killing him. I mean, it looked like it killed him. And I, I, that's the pain that I remember most. Just any time we lost, just looking at him, and it's like he don't know what he's going to do. I, I just felt bad for him. When, um, um, well, it's to switch the question, what, what's the most meaningful compliment, Michael, that you've ever received? Or what's the nicest thing that anyone's ever said to you? Uh, on, on the field? Just, just playing the game. It, it, uh, probably the greatest thing everyone ever said is just whenever I came, I came to play. I get whenever I was there, I came, I came to play. Mike always come to play. You know, uh, and you hear it now, and, and, and that's the one thing I think when I say now, people say, "Well, how would you want to be remembered?" Just that when I played, you know, in football, I, I don't want you. I ever want you to remember me. What I was like, my personal life, my personal life. I don't want you have to remember, but for the fans, for the people that watch me play, just I, I just want you to know that hey, whenever I played, I gave it my all. You know what I mean? If, if you're a fan of Dallas Cowboys, that means I was playing for you, and I gave it my all. And that's the only way you want to be remembered. And I think that's the greatest thing that anyone's ever said, man. Whatever Michael played, he gave it his all. You, you, the, the, the last two questions I had to that you talked, you said once that I think when you were still playing that you said that somebody asked you about to evaluate your career, and you said, "Well, I, you know, I'm gonna have, uh, I don't have time to smell the roses." That was the expression. You never had time while I was yeah. in the game. You never. You was, it was always. It was always going. We were always going, you know. And I, 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 I trained a great deal. I mean, trained the off season. I really trained. So you now never you had can time. smell the roses. But now I, I, I've been reflecting and smelling the roses. And I even, I mean, it's been great. I, I've been flying to cities to do events, even like to come talk to you. I mean, I've been to Philadelphia a hundred times. But I never saw Philadelphia. You know, oh, yeah. when I got here, I was all about. Who I'm playing? Bible tell. I got a Bible tell. I got, okay, thank you. My Bible tell. I'm driving by things I've never seen anything. I'm the Bible tell about. I'm in Washington. Dell Green. I got Dell Green. You know, or Jason C. Horn. I thought about those guys from the time I got on the airplane, from what well, the time that we started all week. So now I get to 
smell the roses. I'm in cities now. I get to visit. I see things. I'm like, man, how long that's been there? You know, I've been in the city 20 times and I never saw the city. Um, so, now, so now I'm getting the opportunity to smell the roses. Yes. What do you, what do you think the footballs taught you? What do you look back on your career? Michael? Football is, is, it gives you great lessons of life. And the greatest, football is about never giving up. And, and that's what life's about. Somebody asked me the other day, what do you tell your kids? Michael, you know, you, you've been an athlete and being a role model. And what do you tell your kids? What do I tell my kids? Hey, look, daddy made mistakes. Look, you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Get back up and let's fight again. That's the greatest thing football has taught you. I mean, football's always taught you, hey, no matter how bad you got beat, no matter how bad somebody beat you down, It'll be a next week. Get back up and let's fight again. Can't ask for a better ending than that. Michael Irvin can be a polarizing figure, but I've always found him to be genuine and truly grateful for the number of chances he's had on the field and in the TV world. In August of 2007, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In a tearful, emotional speech, he acknowledged his personal shortcomings as well as those who supported him throughout his trials, literally, and tribulations. Why must I go through so many peaks and valleys? I wanted to stand in front of my boys and say, do it like your dad, like any proud dad would want to. Why must I go through so much? And at that moment, I... A voice came over me, and it said, look up, get up, and don't ever give up. In the years since his retirement, despite being a national NFL commentator, Irvin's never shy about showing his continued Cowboys fandom, as well as his disappointment when they underachieve, as they did this season. His comments about their playoff chances, their head coach, their quarterback, always seem to bubble to the surface every year, and his opinions have an outsized influence still in Dallas. Next week, we bring you our final interview subject on Tales from the Vault. It's part one of a truly remarkable interview that Steve did in 1989 with the legendary Al Davis. You will not want to miss this. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Andrea Kramer. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. Listen to A Really Good Cry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.